You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today, we're in part four of our series, The Impossible. The Impossible. And our theme verse for this series has been Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? The first week we looked at the importance of not worrying. Any of these messages, if you missed them, they're on our podcast. But we looked at how our, our trust is not so much in, in how things are going to work out, but we trust in the who. Faith is based on who God is, the character of God, the faithfulness of God. Week two is about how God's a promise keeper. Uh, and, and he doesn't just make a promise, but he backs it up with his word, his name. And, uh, and, and while some conditional uh, promises do exist, which requires our cooperation, I'll touch on some of that today, that God is the one who fulfills his word and fulfills his promise, and I'm so grateful for that. So if you're wondering while you're waiting uh, for certain things to happen, waiting on the promise of God, you're in good company because the Bible is full of people of faith who waited on God's promise, but you can have strong faith every day when your faith is not just in the how, because sometimes we tell God how he's going to answer the prayer, how he's going to fulfill the promise, and we find we're discouraged, not because God's changing anything about his word or his promise, but because we've, we've determined for God when it should happen and how it should happen. Last week, I, I gave you a message, pray the impossible. And we talked about how prayer actually causes us to engage with heaven and bring about the impossible in our lives. Uh, today, the subtitle, if you're taking notes, is living the impossible. Uh, we, we've actually been going through the story of Abraham, different parts of his story, because that's actually that verse I just read to you, uh, is God speaking to Abraham and Sarah towards the end of a 20-year-long waiting season. God told them they would have a son before they ever had children. In fact, for 20 years, they had carried a promise, but physically and naturally speaking, were completely unable, and because of age and their stage in life, were unable to have kids, and yet they had a promise from God. God's promise doesn't have our expiration date. Uh, are you with me? It's, it's based on his faithfulness and his goodness and what he can do in our lives. And so, uh, but we're, we're going to actually look at a couple different stories from Abraham's life uh, at the beginning of his faith journey and then uh, towards the end of this story, uh, a little bit further along after he had received his son. But let's look at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is uh, considered, it's called by preachers and pastors, the hall of faith because it describes the great saints of the Bible Men and women whose faith changed things, whose faith moved mountains, whose faith uh, experienced and received what people called impossible. And nothing is too hard for God, if you didn't know the answer to that question. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 8, we're going to read the first few verses here. Verse 8, it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed. We'll revisit that in a moment. When he was called, he obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he would receive as an inheritance. And so he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, again, verse nine, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of, with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In other words, they waited for something eternal 
greater than their temporary experience, something that God was building that lasts forever. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah, Abraham's wife, herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him, meaning God, faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. In other words, God did what I read to you last week, God promised to do, as he told Abraham, count the stars, look and see, I'm gonna bring more descendants from you than you can even count these stars, because God always does bigger and better than what we can expect. God always answers prayer, sometimes it's different, but it's always better. It's sometimes different than I anticipated, but it's always better. And there's three things that these verses tell us about faith. Uh, Faith does these three things. It says by faith, uh, something happened in their lives. By faith, the impossible became a reality. Abraham and Sarah, who could not have children, had children. By faith, heaven came down, and God moved in the lives of a man and in the lives of a woman. And faith here has to be more, as it describes faith through this whole chapter in Hebrews 11, it describes faith as more than we generally define it in our world today. Faith is kind of a general term to describe religious belief or practice. But the way the Bible defines faith is it's more than just information I believe about God. It's more than just getting the facts right in my brain. It's more than just uh, agreeing mentally to what my church says is their statement of faith but it's actually something that leads to a experience. It's something that has an experience, as you see in Abraham and Sarah. They received the promise. By faith, they left a place they were at to go to where God was calling them, to do what God was calling them to do. I've got two points for you today, talking about the life of faith. Number one, experiencing the impossible is the result of a life of faith. Experiencing the impossible, what man calls impossible, what people see as impossible, what you may consider to be impossible is actually the result of a life of faith. It says three things that I notice here. It says that Abraham obeyed. He dwelt or waited in the land of promise until the promise would come. And third, Sarah received by faith. I want to take those in reverse. First, uh, faith receives from God. So, so faith begins in our life when we put our faith in Jesus and we receive the gift of salvation. We receive what Jesus paid a price for on the cross. We receive by faith what God has freely provided, made available to us, is only received by faith. That's why faith is so important. There's people that have grown up their entire lives in church and never known that they can and should receive personally the gift of salvation by faith. In fact, it's even more than that. Everything that God does in my life, everything that God has promised and made available, whether it's the gift of the Holy Spirit or whether it's the promises of God, his covenant, anything that God does and work in relationship to my life is meant to be received by faith. In fact, prayer itself begins with a a posture of coming like a child to our heavenly father, asking in faith, believing. Jesus said, whatsoever you ask for when you pray, believe and receive it. In other words, we can do the activity of religious practice. I can pray, but not be believing. 
I can do it because of obligation, but not attach my faith to it. I can read the Bible, as I told you last week, cover to cover. I can even memorize the Bible, but have no faith, because faith comes with an engagement with heaven. It comes out of a relationship with the reality of who God is. Faith receives from God. In fact, God's will comes into our lives through faith. God's will comes to the world around us through faith. Ever since the Garden of Eden, and God made a covenant with Adam and said, behold, I give you authority or dominion, he was letting us know that there's a partnership, a relationship where we're to represent God, we're to represent, we're to manage and steward well. So so my job as a father is that I bring my kids to Jesus. Are you with me? The greatest thing I ever do as a dad in my entire life is to bring my kids to Jesus. My entire calling as a believer is not just to know God, but to make him known to the world around us, that we're to represent Jesus to the world in our workplaces, in our families, everywhere we go. But the only way we can do that is by touching heaven. The only way we can do that is by receiving from God what we need. Next, faith dwells. Abraham, it says, dwelt in and waited for the promise. He waited. You know, sometimes we get discouraged in the waiting. Because we feel like there's not activity, things are not moving, things are not changing. But the God who gave the promise is the God who fulfills the promise. And if Abraham tells us anything, it's that God's a covenant keeping, that's a promise keeping God. And God does what's impossible. Waiting is about us growing. It's about him preparing us. Some of the greatest seasons of my life were not the seasons I thought would be great. It was the seasons where everything seemed quiet, but I drew close to God. It was where God did the deep character work on the inside of my heart. It was in those places that I wouldn't have categorized early on and said, that's important, but to God, it was the most important. In the waiting season, my my faith grew. My faith was strengthened. And here's what I want you also to understand, and I I don't speak to this often, but waiting is not even just about us. You know, those of you who have a big family or you didn't need the internet, come on. You got a big business or a big, like you lead a big group and you're responsible for a big group. Sometimes you know in a leadership role, you see a big picture. You know, as a dad, I see things my kids, my three kids don't see. Well, it's how much more so is it for God? The God who formed the heavens and the earth, who runs the universe and doesn't break a sweat, he sees what I don't see. And sometimes I'm asking God and I'm saying, God, will you do it now? But I don't see all the people that my prayer affects that God is going to position and he's going to move and he's working in the lives of people in a way that I don't see and I don't understand because my promise isn't even about me and neither is yours. So that's why our faith stays anchored to the person and into God because he's the one who fulfill his promise. The third thing is that Abraham, this is what we're going to focus on mostly today, because faith takes bold action. Faith is not just what I believe about God, it's my response to what I believe about God. If I really believe that we have a God that saves, I won't hesitate to tell about the, the Jesus who saves. If, if I believe really that God is a God who does the impossible, then I have no problem praying accordingly. I told you last week a great quote from my pastor in Phoenix that I can often, we can often tell what we really believe about God by how we pray. We diminish our faith in our prayer life and we allow it to be shaped by disappointment and and what hasn't happened yet or discouragement instead of, that's why faith doesn't come from my feelings, it comes from God's word. 
Are, are you with me this morning? Faith doesn't come from my feelings. It doesn't come from what I see. It's not based on whether or not people agree with it even. It comes from what God's word has said and who Jesus is. That's the foundation. That's it. That settles it. That's why I want to feed my life, feed my faith from a relationship with Jesus. Let's go back to Genesis. Genesis 13. God calls Abraham and he says, go to the land I'm going to show you. Get out from your household and from your family and he does. He takes his wife and his kids and they leave where his father had died and settled. And along behind him comes Lot, his nephew. But they go to the promised land, not knowing exactly where they're going. God just said, go. So they packed up and they went. And, and, and as they follow the voice of God, they had to walk by faith and trust the one who gave the word. And then they arrived to the promised land. And because Abraham was not supposed to take his nephew Lot, Lot Lot had a group and he had a business, he had shepherds and he had sheep and, and so did Abraham and there began to be a conflict between the two and so they had to separate and sometimes we get discouraged because some people are no longer a part of our journey. But it's okay because if God redirected them, then maybe they don't need to be in the next season of your life. Some of us are still grieving over what didn't happen with a certain friendship or relationship or but, but I, I want to tell you, as, as Lot, so here's what happens. Abraham comes with Lot. They come to this mountain. They look over this great big valley, and, and, and he says, Lot, I'm going to let you choose. You go one way, I'll go the other way. You pick whatever you want. And so Lot chooses the best-looking land. Happens to be where Sodom and Gomorrah were, and we know how that ended up for Lot. But he looked at things by what looked the best, but he picked out the best piece of property, the best piece of real estate he could see. And right after this, I imagine that Abraham's wondering, why did I have this kid come along? Because he just got the best piece of real estate. And I don't know what he was thinking or feeling, but I know the very next thing it says, God said to Abraham, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him, verse 14, lift your eyes now. God only tells you to lift your eyes when you're discouraged, when you're looking down, when you're focused on the wrong thing. He says, lift your eyes now and look. In fact, look everywhere. Look to the north, the south, the east, the west. For all the land you see I've given to you and your descendants forever. By the way, P.S., this is the beginning. Abraham has no kid yet. This is God reminding him of the promise. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a family line. But, but here's the point. If you can see what others can't see, you'll be able to do what others can't do. Faith takes bold action. It starts with what we believe, but it doesn't stop there. If you can believe what God's promise says and respond accordingly, the thing that Abraham did that set him up to receive the promise starts with these very simple words, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed. He obeyed. And I believe that God's looking for bold action. He's looking for people, men and women. You know, I don't think we understand this always, but God's answer to a need and a problem in the world oftentimes is attached to him raising up a man or woman filled with his spirit, full of his word to change it. What if the answer in your family was God touching your life? What if the answer in North Iowa is sitting in these seats? What if, what if the answer to, to seeing addiction broken and families restored is what God wanted to do in your life with your gifts and your purpose and your calling? It's not just about pastors and preachers. In fact, it's not at all. It's about the church, capital C. It's about all of us discovering what God's called us to do. And it's about us finding 
steps to take in response to what God has said. In fact, faith often looks like taking a risk. A little bit outside of your comfort zone. But you know, there's, there's taking a risk and then there's taking a faith risk. What's the difference? Taking a risk is something that's driven by you. Taking a faith risk is something that starts with a promise or a word from God. If you don't know, River City Church started from a faith risk, from a word, from a promise. And, and, and everything that God wants to do in our life often comes as God walks with us and leads us and shares his word and leads us by the Holy Spirit. And then he begins to prompt us and lead us. How does he do that? We know sometimes as you're listening to God, you'll find that there's certain things that you, I, I compare it to a street light. There's a red light, there's a yellow light, there's a green light. And you may not know it now, but that's the Holy Spirit letting you know. If you've got a red light telling you don't proceed, don't step into that situation, follow his voice. I don't care what it looks like. Lot picked the wrong land because it looked pretty, but it caused him to compromise. He had to, be, he had to dwell in the midst of compromise to get it. Abraham saw what no one else could see. And if you and I will fill our lives with God's word and surrender and say yes to the Holy Spirit, say yes to his leading, God's just looking for a man or woman that'll say yes and take a bold step of faith. That's gonna look different for all of us. It's not what God's talking to me about. It's not what God's leading Jenna about or anybody else about what God's leading you to do. By faith, by faith. Um, I think it's interesting that it, says at the end of those passages I read in Hebrews 11 that Abraham was as good as dead. In other words, his body was past his prime to have kids. Would, would you, would, let, 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 me, let me say this, let me make it personal. Would I have picked me? The answer is no. Would, would we have picked any of the people that God picked in the Bible? Probably not. If we're honest about their story, God picked the unqualified, the, unli the unlikely. And I, that to me is good news because no matter what your story, no matter what your history, no matter what your background, God wants to use your life to change things. God wants to use your story. He wants to use your gifts. He wants to use your purpose to make a difference in the world. In fact, God, God's redemptive work is so amazing that God can take the most broken parts of our lives and use them to bring the most healing for others. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Um, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many influential, not many of noble birth, it almost sounds like he's insulting. He's not, though. He's just reminding them. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world. I'm going to tell you, there's few times in life where you're going to understand why or how. But if you know the who, you'll take the step. By faith, Abraham. I mean, what a word to... To go to your wife, Sarah, and say, hey, uh, God told me we're leaving, we're moving, where are we going? I don't know. He said, we'll know when we get there. The place he's going to show us. 
I'm sure he got the same look from his wife that you and I would probably get. Listen to this. But God chose the weak things of the world to put to shame the strong. As a pastor, 18 years, I think, now in ministry, I've seen so many people disqualify themselves. I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't know enough of that. I don't. No, no. You've got what you need. Keep going to Jesus. He'll, he'll always give us more. He'll always pour more into our life. He'll awaken purpose. He'll show us our gifts, all of that. That's why we do things like next steps, help people discover what God's placed in them. But then you've got to take a step. Then you've got to take a step of faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Number two, second point today, is the essential ingredient to faith is obedience. The essential ingredient to faith is obedience. And even when I say that word obedience, I have a problem. Many of you heard about it already. My dog doesn't listen. I need Caesar Milan to show up to my house. I feel like it's because he's too spoiled, but that's my opinion. I'm not going to name names because it's her first time in the 10 o'clock service of who has spoiled this animal. But that word obedience for a lot of people, even in a church setting, oftentimes kind of creates a, a negative feeling because we look at obedience as something we do out of guilt. There's a reason I don't preach guilt here. Because guilt motivates for a season, but it actually leaves you more bound. So, so, so oftentimes we feel motivated by guilt for a season to do what we know we should be doing as a Christian. I should be sharing my faith. I should be doing this. And, and we feel bad about it and we feel guilty instead of recognizing the problem is I can, I can be motivated to action for a moment, but unless what drives my faith is a love relationship with Jesus, it's not going to be sustainable. And it's not going to lead to life. Many obey out of guilt or even obligation, but it doesn't even lead them closer to God. Faith, watch what it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. Faith is, it's like a car when you turn the key, you got gas in the tank and you turn the key and the ignition starts. Faith is ignited, activated, started by obedience. So, so too many times we become content because this is what, do you know the devil loves religion? He really does. Religion starts wars. Religion starts fights and arguments, especially on social media. But religion doesn't bring life. And how do I define religion? It's anything I can do for God without God needed to be involved. And, and, and oftentimes it adopts a form of faith where I'm willing to hear, but I'm not willing to apply. I hear that God is a promise-keeping God, and I learn the things, the principles of God, that God is a God who sets free, and the God who heals, and he's a God who does all these things. The more you read the Bible, you find out God's bigger than what you thought. But oftentimes we're content to stay at the level of, okay, I, I agree with that, or I believe that. But it's actually meant to move us to obedient faith, to action. It's meant to produce a response. By faith, Abraham obeyed. I think there's two reasons why we don't obey in faith. The first one is simple, but also the hardest to deal with. We want our way. 
N- nobody in here. We, we want our way. I want my way at times. And I know God's leading another way, but then I want my way. And it's at the conflict of those between I will or not my will be done, but yours be done. That real faith is ignited. The, the impossible actually takes place. I think most Christians want to see miracles at work. They want to see the hand of God. They want to see things change. They want to see their family saved. They want to see addictions broken. They want to see a transformation in their city. And they don't know God can do it today. Religion insulates us. It talks about the good old days and it talks about what might happen one day, but God's not just interested in tomorrow. He's a God of today. But today requires action. It requires faith. It requires a response to God. At 19, I got saved at seven years old at a Christmas program. We were good Christmas and Easter Christians. But I thank God for that. I came to Jesus at one of those Christmas services. But not being connected and growing in a church for most of my childhood, I didn't grow in my faith. In fact, later on, I began to run run from it. Until 19 years old, I was in college, and it's a long story, but had a God moment where I realized that everything I had been giving my life to and spending my time in and every relationship I had been pursuing, everything about my life at that moment was pursuing something that was empty. I wanted my way. But then I found out saying yes to Jesus meant saying yes to a much better way. And I've never once regretted that decision. You know, I, I kept Jesus at a distance. If you were to ask me at any point in that, I never would have told you I stopped believing in Jesus. It was just simply I wanted my way. I owned my own life. But the day I surrendered to Jesus was the day that I gave him ownership and direction and said, Jesus, you lead the way. If you're good enough to give everything for me, then I'm going to respond with everything to you. And, and it was just like Abraham in that moment saying, I don't understand. I don't know where. I don't know how. I don't know what's going to change. But I'm just going to say yes. I'm just going to say yes. Can I just tell you that God can do more with one surrendered life than an entire church full of people that still own their lives? Uh, the second reason, I think, is uh, we, we don't trust his way. If we're honest, we have trust issues. Again, nobody in here. That's another service. That's, that's third service. And, and maybe it's because we don't understand If you're like me, you try to understand everything before you follow through. I like to get the picture. I like to understand what what are going to be the consequences of the decision. What what does it look like when a decision's made? And I want to map it out and figure it out. But here's the reality of faith. My understanding is not required for my cooperation. And the more I learn to trust the who and trust him, the more I'm going to see him do what he promised to do. Last story. Genesis 22. I want you to see this. Abraham receives his promised son, Isaac. 
Isaac begins to grow. And, and in, that, in that growth, in Genesis 22, I'm going to summarize it for time, but I'll read the first couple of verses so you catch what's going on. He has his promised son, and everything's going good. Abraham's, you know, he's playing catch with Isaac. He's teaching him the, the, the shepherd business. He's excited about Isaac's potential and what the future holds, and he's thinking, man, this is awesome. But I don't know, maybe somewhere along the way, the promise from God became more important to Abraham than God himself. I, I don't know if that's the case, because I know that's, that can be my tendency too, to get distracted by the good things and even the God things, but miss the relationship with the one who gave it all in the first place. And then I begin to worry and I begin to fear instead of trust the one who gave it, it's the one who's going to take care of it. And God comes to Abraham one day for two reasons. And I'm going to tell you the first one was to see Abraham's level of trust. Would he surrender the most important thing in his life to God? Would he surrender the very thing that God gave him back to God? Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, and Abraham responded, here I am. And he says this, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah, the very place where one day the temple in Jerusalem would be built. He says, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as an offering. Worst Father's Day passage ever. <laughs> On one of the mountains of which I tell you. Now, if I'm honest and I'm Abraham, I'm struggling right now. I've struggled for much less over things that God's told me to do or led me to do in areas where it's been surrender this thing that's actually harmful in your life. Trust me with that relationship. Trust me with your future, with your family. Whatever it is, there's these areas that sometimes I, 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 it's hard to let go and trust him. But the more I've gotten to know him, the easier it is to trust him. But there's moments like this where you go, God, I don't know if I can say yes. And we begin to think about it and talk ourselves out of it. I know nobody's ever done this where you begin to feel the leading of God in some particular way. And God begins to give you some direction, whether through his word or the leading of the Holy Spirit or whatever it is. And as you begin to get that direction, you go, I don't know if I can do that. It might cost too much. It might be too difficult. It's impossible. Not the miracle. The impossible right now is, I can't do that. You know what Abraham does? You know what faith looked like? Early the next morning, verse three. Early the next morning, Abraham saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son. And they journeyed to Moriah, and as they came to the mountain, they came to the foot of the mountain, and they told, Abraham told the servants, me and the boy are going to go up, just the two of us. And I like that he says this, he says, and we'll be back. We're going to go worship the Lord, and we're going to be back. Well, how can he say we'll be back? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us that he knew that the God who gave the promise was even able to raise him from the dead. 
I know it's an intense story, but I want you to see why. The first reason was about Abraham, it was personal. But the second reason God walked through this with Abraham is actually about all of us. But the personal reason Abraham brings his son to the top, and some scholars say he was not a child, he was a young man. And Isaac's walking up the hill and he says, hey dad, I noticed something's missing. We got the wood for the sacrifice, you got the knife, but where's the lamb? Where's the offering? Maybe he's, he's sweating a little bit. Well, probably not, to be honest, at this point, because nobody had ever been, nobody had ever done this. No one ever would again. This is a unique moment, but here's why. So he takes Isaac to the top of the mountain. He builds the altar. He places the wood on the altar. And he binds his son, who if he is a young man, is more than capable of fighting, resisting. But he trusts God. He gets on that altar and then Abraham does the hardest thing he's ever done in his life. He prepares to offer his son and the angel of the Lord stops him and says, don't lay a hand on the boy because now I see that you won't even withhold your most prized promise. And if we can put that on the screen, the last couple of verses, here's what God said. Because you didn't withhold your best and your promise from me, Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I want you to catch this. This is verse, verse 17. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, as the sand on which is the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemy. In your seed starting with Isaac, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because you've obeyed my voice. God says generations are going to have victory over their enemies. That's what it means to possess the gates of their enemies. Because Abraham, you obeyed. Church, you don't understand this, but your decision to trust God today to take a stand today, to say yes to Jesus today is going to affect your children and your grandchildren. They're not going to have to fight the addiction you had to fight. They're not going to have to battle the thing you had to battle because you took a stand and you said, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. Generations are affected. Would you stand to your feet? The second reason God walked through this with Abraham it's because God provided a different sacrifice. Abraham, after the angel of the Lord told him to stop, he looked and there was a ram caught in the thicket and he took that ram that the Lord provided and he placed it on the altar and offered it in place of his son. And why would God go through that whole story? I mean, it's a, it's a crazy, intense story, but there's a reason for that story. And the reason is you. And the reason is me. There was never a man that God ever asked to do what he asked Abraham to do, but he did require of himself. God provided his only begotten son, whom he loved, to take your place on that altar, to take my place on that altar. Isaac carried the wood of the sacrifice. I, I didn't read this part. He carried the wood of the sacrifice up that hill, the very wood that would be lit underneath him. 
that he carried the wood of his sacrifice because God would send his son to carry his own cross up a hill to offer his life for you and for me. The most important act of obedience in all of history happened on a cross. That through his obedience, we could be forgiven. We could be set free. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.